Ahí va Bota. Pelota para Eric Gutiérrez. Cae solo. El gol. Bota, gol. Hey guys, it's Tom Harrison here, and this is another edition of the Colourful Kit Podcast Extra. Now, first of all, um, apologies for the week break. I was on my well, part of my level two coaching course here in England, and yeah, I just didn't have any time. So, um, sorry about that. If you missed uh, listening to me ramble for half an hour, uh, I certainly missed talking about League MX for half an hour. So. Let's crack on. And this week, the big topic is going to be looking at the Toluca Puebla game and particularly hitting upon why sometimes with tactics, the kind of best thing to do is to rather than play to your strengths, is to patch up your deficiencies, is to cover up your weaknesses. And looking at the Toluca team, it's not too hard to instantly see what their weakness is. It's the age, of their, particularly of their defence. And overall, they have an old team. They have uh, one of the oldest teams in Liga Mirkis. And I've spoke about this in the past on uh, this podcast, actually. I've discussed how their recruitment has been all about trying to gain instant success for their centenary year. So they brought in experienced players who've been there and done it before in Liga Merkis, like uh, Ruben Sampuesa and Gabriel Auche, for example, plus a couple of players from South America, like uh, Barrientos and Gonzalez at the back. But that comes at a cost, and it means that they are a pretty old team, particularly the centre-back partnership. You know, Osvaldo Gonzalez and Paulo da Silva... Uh, or are as talented and as experienced as any other defensive partnership in the league, if not more so than any other defensive partnership in the league. But they are 32 in Gonzalez's case and 37 in De Silva's case. So there's a lack of pace. You know, these, these players are past their physical prime. Maybe not past their mental prime or their technical prime, but they're past their physical prime, and they struggle with pace. So that's a big deficiency, a big weakness of Toluca. And what Cristante did on Sunday was use his tactics to emphasise this weakness rather than to patch it up. So... What should you perhaps not do if you've got a very old and slow defence? Play a high line. Because if your opposition can get balls over the top and get in behind you, then because your defenders are slow, it's difficult for them to turn and get back. And this is what happened on Sunday. Uh, This happened time and time again. Puebla created so many chances and they scored three goals. They could have scored plenty more but they kept getting in behind uh, Toluca kept getting in behind the defence and they deserve some credit for that but we'll get onto that in a second um, but I just think he got he got it completely wrong uh, Chris Dante and you know, he played this high line which meant there was the space in behind the other way he got it really wrong was that 
it's possible to play a high line and with an, a, a slow defence if you never give the opposition time in the midfield to pick out passes. So if you have a very packed midfield that are constantly pressing the ball hard and you know they're not giving the opposition any time and space in that midfield area then they won't have the opportunity to pick out passes over the top or through ball any sort of through balls really that are going to get in behind the Toluca defense and then or any defense and uh, turn the defenders so this system may have worked playing a high line it may have worked if Toluca had packed the midfield and had pressed the ball a lot and prevented Puebla's um, creative players from you know, playing those through balls. And this is exactly what they didn't do on, on Sunday. You know, for this match, Cristante brought in Esquivel for uh, Jesus Mendes. So he's taken out a, a player who is pretty combative, I'd say, Mendes. He works hard, he's... He's an all-round midfielder. He can offer going forward, but he offers a fair amount defensively too. I think he's probably a little bit better defensively than, than going forward. He's pretty tough in the tackle. Um, he, he's that sort of player that, that you want if you want to press the opposition's midfield. He took him out and put in Esquivel. Esquivel, as we know, offers something defensively, but is mostly known for his creativity going forward. And, you know, fantastic player. He has been for many, many years. But what it left um, Toluca with was Antonio Rios as the only real player with, in the midfield with any sort of defensive qualities. And the rest of the, the team, you know, you had the back four, then Rios. And then you've got Sambuesa, you've got Esquivel, you've got Barrientos, you've got Uribe, you've got Alche. So five players there who don't offer much defensively. And Sambuesa and Esquivel will work fairly hard for you, but they're not, you know, they're not defensive players. They are not the most intelligent defensively. They are fantastic going forward, very intelligent going forward, very talented, but not talented defensively. So you have this situation where you've pretty much got one sort of holding centre midfielder to stop the Puebla uh, midfield. So only one. There's no way Rios can press a whole midfield on his own. And because of that, they had space, they had time in the midfield to pick up passes. And then they were able to exploit the Toluca high line. And that's what they did all game. And like I said, it was 3-1. It could have been so much more. They created so many chances, Puebla, and they kept, kept getting in behind Toluca. Um, as I said, I just want to you know, give a bit of credit to Puebla as well. I, I thought that uh, Alexis Canelo and Geronimo Amione were absolute nightmare for Toluca on the day. I thought they were pretty much the perfect players to exploit the tactical mistake by Cristante. Both players are all-round attackers, I'd say. I think they showed on Sunday that they're good at... They're capable of holding up the ball... They're capable of linking up with each other, with other players, and they're capable of making those runs in behind. And that's what they kept doing. There was constant they were constantly on the move, you know, it was kind of like one player would would hold up the ball 
uh, get control of it. The other one would be making moves off the ball all the time. And the pair of them were just so difficult um, for De Silva and Gonzalez to defend against. They were too dynamic, too quick, and they couldn't deal with them. And so credit to those two. And particularly, Canelo is, is starting to catch the eye a little bit. He's, he, he went to Chiapas first um, before going to Puebla. He looks okay in flashes, but this season he's consistently been very good. He's now got three goals, four assists for the season. So really impressed. And yeah, impressed with Amione too, because he's a striker who's been around for a long time in Liga Mekis and he, he kind of has the little spells when he's in the team and then he seems forgotten about for a while uh, and you don't sort of hear about him for a bit and now he's back in the team and he's, he's doing a good job for Puebla he's kind of the classic Puebla player isn't he you know he sort of moves bounces around different clubs in, in Liga Mekis and Puebla is, is often a home for those sorts of players that, that never quite find a home anywhere else so, yeah, just to sum up, you know, sometimes, as I said, you have to uh, adapt your tactic not to your strengths. So, you know, Toluca were thinking, perhaps Crescente was thinking on the day, we're playing Pueblo, they're a side to away from home, they're going to sit back, they're going to try and frustrate us. They play a defensive style of football. So, I know we've got loads of great attackers, I'm going to play to our strengths and get as many attackers on the pitch, and we're just going to overload them with all our talent. But he forgot about their weaknesses and he didn't patch up his weaknesses in this team. And in fact, he just made it made them a lot worse because, as I said, if, if you play a high line and you give the opposition time in the midfield, they're going to be able to pick out through balls. And when you've got a t- defensive partnership that are 32 years old and 37 years old, they're going to struggle for pace and they're going to struggle to get back. And they did struggle to get back. And Canelo and Amione had had very enjoyable afternoons. And Puebla got a surprise but very good win. The question now is, can Cristante learn from this? Is he going to learn from this? And this game, in the grand scheme of things, probably isn't going to be massively important for Toluca because they look like they should make Ligia. I know there's still over half of the season to go, but the, the squad looks strong enough. They've so far got two points a game which is pretty impressive for Liga Merkis so I don't think they're going to have too many problems making Ligia but from a perspective of you know how Cristante learns from this game this could be crucial for their season because if he has learned from the, anything from this game he's not going to do it again you know he, he's not going to make the same mistake he's going to make sure that Either the defensive line drops deeper, or if he does play with a higher defensive line, he gets uh, more defensive-minded players in the midfield, and he presses the ball uh, more than they did on Sunday. So it could prove an important moment in the Toluca season, if he's able to learn from it. On the flip side, if he isn't, well, other teams, here's your your blueprint for causing Toluca problems, for beating uh, Toluca. Puebla have just done it. You know, get runners in behind, get lots of movement off the ball, and try to turn that that Toluca defence. Yeah, be interesting to see how things uh, pan out from now on. All right, so let's move on to my player of the week, and I could have gone with, to be honest, I could have gone with uh, Canelo or Amione, but 
I've decided to um, go for Giannini, Giannini Tavares from Santos. And Giannini was one of two players from Western African islands to score in Liga Mekis this week. And thank you to uh, Shimon. Um, sorry if that's not pronounced correctly. My, my Polish pronunciation isn't perfect, I'm sure. But uh, at Urbassia, um, who I you know tweeted this this out, that there were two different African goal scorers in Liga Mekis on Sunday, and both are islanders from West African islands. Uh, Cap Verde, in the case of Giannini, and Saltome a Principe, in the case of uh, Luis Leal for Chiapas. And fun fact, the populations combined still don't match Torreon or uh, Tuxla Gutierrez. So, there you go. Interesting fact for you guys. Yeah, Giannini, my player of the week. Now, Giannini's a player that... <sighs> To be honest, I've never been that impressed with. He's someone that sometimes people talk about as as being a quality player, a quality forward. And he certainly came into the league as a player, an exciting player, you know, a player who was quite young, uh, had good potential, you know, hadn't quite made it in Portugal. Here's his chance in a a, a different league, a not really a weaker league, but you know, a, a different quality, a different style league. I'd say, you know, a different style league. I think it's the best way to put it because I'm not sure. The Liga Mekis to Portugal, Portugal. You've got okay, you've got Benfica Porto, but you've got a lot of small teams in there as well, which are a lot smaller than um, the smallest teams in Liga Mekis. But yeah. Anyway, Giannini on Sunday really impressed me, and he was the key man in in the Santos draw which should have really been a win they caused a lot more problems did a lot more than the Caxa and uh, conceded late on to let the victory slip Giannini had one goal and one assist on the day the assist was a, a very nice one-two with Osvaldo Martinez who then you know scored a really nice dink over Barovero the goal was fantastic strike he he came in from the right side onto his left foot and hit a, a really great left footed shot which was pretty impressive because that is his weaker foot and yeah Barrevero not much he could do about it to be honest it was a really great strike and he was playing on the right side of a front three which is an unusual system I'd say for Liga Mekis because the front three are not a striker and two wingers it's really three strikers Furch in the middle as the target man and then either side you've got Jonathan Rodriguez and Giannini Tavares and both of them naturally are strikers I know Giannini's played wide a lot uh, during his time at Santos which is something that I think has negatively impacted his performances I don't think he's that comfortable out wide but with this system he gets to play a bit more centrally although he is still not playing exactly through the middle so it it suits him more than being an out and out winger but it's perhaps still not his best role anyway uh, I, I thought he played really well on Sunday he was very lively always involved in the attacks he linked up well he uh, used I think he used his body quite well to hold up the ball he was able to use his technical ability to to beat players at times, and yeah, you know, I do think he's a 
a good player. I don't. I still don't think he's a great Nigo Meki striker because he hasn't quite got anything that makes him outstanding. I think he's not an outstanding finisher. He's not an outstanding target man. He's not an outstanding dribbler. But all round, he's got a lot of good abilities, and yeah, you know, on his day, he's a handful to manage and uh, Nakaxa struggled to manage him on Sunday so yeah well done to Janini and we'll see if he can keep it up yeah, Santos still unbeaten but now six draws from eight games so uh, depending on how I, th- I think the next few games go that, that could decide whether they're going to be in Ligue or not can they start turning these draws into victories or are they going to turn some draws into defeats? I think it could quickly go very well or very badly for Santos. So be interesting to see. Now, uh, as ever, we finish the discussion with some questions from you guys. And a lot of questions, um, perhaps because I asked for questions last night and this is what everyone was thinking about, a lot of questions come back to the uh, Chiapas Chivas game, which some of you are perhaps surprised that I haven't mentioned yet. So, first of all, uh, Cesar Hernandez at Cesar H Football asked best match of the weekend, and I still don't know if this was serious or a joke because first I was like, oh yeah, very funny. Obviously, you know my answer, and then I thought back to the weekend and I said, well, there was that Querétaro game that was really good, and actually the Puebla Toluca game was pretty good as well, but. I think it's, yeah, I mean, you must know that my answer would be Chiapas uh, Chivas. And this game was just, it was something else, wasn't it? It was absolutely extraordinary. And um, I'm going to say, if you if you haven't seen it already, my new favourite stat uh, in football, I think, ever, is that Chiapas going into the game, from the beginning of the 16-17 season, so Apertura, the whole of the Apertura, and the seven games they played in the Clausura before. So 24 games, which, not including added time, equals 2,160 minutes. In that time, they'd scored 14 goals. They then went and scored three goals in four minutes against Chivas. It's just... Unbelievable! It's as un, almost as unbelievable as Leicester winning the Premier League. It, you just couldn't imagine it happening. Not in a million years could you imagine this happening. And I was—I mean, I, I loved it. I, I was absolutely loving it. It was so, so incredible. It just came out of nowhere, and it was fantastic to watch. Um, apologies to, to Chivas fans because I'm sure it wasn't fantastic to watch for you guys and I do feel for you because I can't imagine how painful that must be to see your team conceding three goals in four minutes against Chiapas um, but yeah sorry I'm I'm not a Chivas fan so uh, I enjoyed it <laughs> but yeah uh, just to explain how I was feeling throughout this game I was very disappointed at half time uh, I really was because I tweeted before the game you know um, if you know me fairly well you know I'm a fan of of the way that Chiapas have been playing this season and um, they were very poor last week against Puebla but most of this season they've played some really really amazing football and 
I said before the game, if they play to their potential, this is going to be a really fascinating game, fantastic game, because they're one of the few teams, when they're on form, that can outpass anyone in the league. And Chivas, as we know, are up there with, with Tigres as really the best passing teams in Liga MX. They're fantastic at keeping possession. Uh, they you know, are able to, to pass it around the opposition you know, all game long, pretty much. And uh, one team that can disrupt them and can actually outdo them in terms of passing football is Chiapas. And Chiapas did this to Tigres. Although Tigres have more possession, Chiapas were able to create more from, from their passing game. So I was expecting a, a really fascinating game. And at halftime, we didn't have one. You know, the first half was uh, Chiapas were pretty poor. Chivas were just comfortable. It was a, looked like a question of how many. Then at halftime, a big change. And Dita Villalpando comes off the bench. And they were a different team. They would, you know, and it, it wasn't just Villalpando. I think it would be uh, an exaggeration to say that it was just Villalpando. But they they came out and they just tore Chivas apart. Absolutely. And Villalpando was fantastic when he came on. But the whole team suddenly was, they, they, were, they were playing to their potential. Suddenly, out of nowhere, they hadn't been all game. And they came out the second half. They just tore, they tore Chivas apart. It was incredible. The... Yeah, it was the passing game. You know, there was um, nothing ugly about it. It was just beautiful stuff to watch. Quick passing, tons of movement off the ball. Chivas couldn't handle it. They could not handle it, and they fell apart. They absolutely fell apart, and, you know, they they needed to kind of recover after that first goal or that second goal, and they didn't, and they just gave the ball back to Chiapas, and... Chapas just flew, flew past them. It was incredible to watch. Absolutely incredible. And an, inc- an amazing game. Um, perhaps the game would have been made even greater. I was thinking this the game was going towards its end. Um, if Pizarro, after Pizarro's goal, if Chivas had scored a fourth to equalise. But hey, I'm not going to take anything away from this game. It was yeah, one of my favourite games I've seen. Ever, to be honest, because it was just so unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, you know, Liga Mekis does some crazy things, but this might be the craziest. They'd scored 14 in 2,160 minutes, and they scored three and four. I, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say. Next question, uh, on the same subject, it comes from... At Janet L ninety three, who asks most entertaining team to watch this season, and yeah, for me it's Chiapas. They have been uh, the most entertaining team in my eyes, because as I've said in the past, of their style of play, and yeah, to me what they do is is like an art form. It's just beautiful. I can't I can't think of any other word to describe it than beautiful. Tons of uh, quick passing, one twos. There's there's flair, there's little flicks, there's tricks, and there's so much movement off the ball, and it's such a fluid attacking system. Players are popping up all over the place, and they have so many attacking players on the pitch, so they you know they push so many players forward when they can. It's not always successful, 
perhaps mainly because they don't have a quality striker. And uh, Luis Leal, who got his first start uh, on Sunday, did score, but I wasn't particularly impressed with him. He was sent through in the first half by Quick Mendoza, which was the best um, Chiapas created in the first half, but took a really poor touch and the chance went begging. But yeah, so I still don't think they have a great striker and I think that does hurt them in terms of, of, of scoring goals, turning their great play into goals. But, you know, the, the great play is entertaining enough for me. I understand if, if other people don't enjoy it and I know other people are like, what's this thing? You know, why do you like Chiapas so much? But for me, what they do is, is just beautiful and uh, they, they've been so entertaining to watch this season. Uh, we've got a few more. Uh, another one on Chiapas comes from Alejandro at a Forte two three two, who asks, "Are Chiapas the anti Cruz Azul? Is it too early to turn their name into a verb like Cruz Azulia?" So, I'm a little bit confused. Do you mean like, as in terms of they turn, as in Cruz Azul can turn winning positions into losing positions, they turn losing positions into winning positions, or do you mean that? They, I probably should have asked this on Twitter to clarify before, but do you mean that, that they're able to beat the big teams, uh, but not the small teams? And you know, the record this season is ridiculous. They've beaten Toluca, Tigres, America, Chivas. They've lost to Veracruz, Morelia, Puebla. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And Pachuca as well. Uh, but yeah, they beat the big teams. They don't bother with the small teams. You can't quite explain them, can you? It's, it, it, they are a ridiculous team. I, I think uh, you probably mean comeback-wise. And yeah, I'd say it's too early. I think you know, This was an incredible comeback, but uh, they haven't really done many other comebacks. So yeah, I'd say too early, uh, unless I'm completely misunderstanding what you mean. One from uh, at Urbas CA, who gets his second mention of the podcast who asks, your pick for the most Botta-esque player left in the league? So referring to Ruben Botta, my old favourite, who, yes, has sadly left Liga Mekis. But again, I'm going to link this back to Chiapas because I'm going to pick a Chiapas player. Uh, Dita Villapando has already got a mention as he made a big impact from the bench on Sunday. And I think he's a really similar player, actually. The more, uh, when I saw this this question I had to think about it and the more I think about it the more I realise he's a really similar player he's very very intelligent he's got incredible vision he's able to to pick out incredible passes and he's able to to picture these things in in the mind and this is something that they were talking about a lot on my coaching course is trying to create players that see the pictures, trying to get your players to see the pictures in their minds. You know, picture different plays and how if they move there, how that can affect the game. Or if, you know, that person's gonna pass there, where should I where should I position myself? And I think Vio Panda's one of those players who's one of those players who really sees those pictures in his mind. Like Botter. And like Botter, I think he's very underappreciated because I think you don't always see the impact of what these sorts of players do 
and if they you know creative players generally I guess get judged on how many assists they get and that relies a lot on your teammates because you could be playing the right pass but if your teammate hasn't moved into the area they should be then you know if this, your striker hasn't read where they should be and where, where the space is for them to run into you could play a perfect through ball but if your striker's not there then it looks like you've just given the ball away or you could continuously set up your striker with great chances and if they're not scoring them then they don't get you know you don't get the assist and it looks like you're not doing much for the team so I think the key thing with players like Botta and Vialpando is kind of getting the team built around them and I think they're good enough that you could have a lot of success if you built a team around these players but no one in Mexico has really done it and I think it's a great shame I think Vialpando is one of the perhaps you know in terms of recent times the the biggest Wasted talent, you know, the the biggest talent that Mexico have missed out on because he could, I think he could have been so much more and I think he could have been a really big player for the national team, to be honest. The talent is there. I know there's attitude problems or there have been attitude problems in the past. You hear stuff about you know, him being poorly behaved, but I don't think that's a reason to kind of give up on a player and I think too many teams have given up on him, unfortunately. But you know, clearly, Bueno must see how important he is for Chiapas now and how much he makes them tick. So hopefully he's going to keep getting the starts. And who knows, he may one day get the credit he deserves and may even play for Mexico. But yeah, I absolutely love watching him. He's the sort of player who can do the complete unexpected. Very, very clever. Sees things that you wouldn't even see from a bird's eye view. On, on the pitch level which always is is kind of what gets me so amazed and makes my jaw drop when players start picking out these passes or doing these moves that you just yeah like I said you can't see them from a bird's eye view and you think how are they seeing this from a pitch level when the game's going at 100 miles an hour and that's the main reason that I love watching Ruben Botta and uh, Dita Villapando as well Final one on this game. <laughs> I will move on from this game eventually. Final one. Uh, at the Colourful Kit asks, what does this loss say about Chivas, if anything? I think it says that they're not the finished article. And I think a lot of fans um, of Chivas and Liga Mekis as a whole, you know, Liga Mekis writers have kind of been, you know, we've been building up Chivas and they've been getting better and better and better. And we're waiting for this moment that we could be like, they're there, you know, they're they are a, a top team. They are really a top team. And you know we're, we, they've got so many strengths, barely any weaknesses. This could have been the weekend. They come off the back of two classical victories. They win this game. They become super leader. And people start to think, hey, are the, is, the, are this, is this the time? Are they now favourites to win this Liga Makers title? We saw the opposite. We saw them fall apart, and it was just a reminder that no, they're not the finished article. They're not there yet. They're a very strong team, expensively put together, well coached. Uh, they are one of the t one of the best teams in Liga Mekis, but no one in Liga Mekis is invincible. Everyone can be beaten. The parity in the league makes it so difficult. 
and the league's crazy. Every team's liable to have a crazy game. Chivas did, and I, I still, yeah, I don't think it says too much because, you know, as I said, this, these crazy games can happen to anyone. It's Liga Mekis. They can happen to anyone. So I still think they're a top team. I still think they're contenders for the title. Strong contenders for the title. But yeah, if it says anything, it says that they're not out and out best team in Liga Mekis. They're up there, but they're not the best. Or, I don't know, they're amongst the best. They're not uh, a standout team. Right, we've got two more questions. Uh, one from at Danny B underscore 96, who asks, uh, MVP of the season so far. And I'm going to go with Avila Zotardo for Tijuana. Now, Tijuana lost two key attackers in the winter transfers. Daira Moreno, Gabriel Auche, and to be honest, I thought they're going to be a much weaker attacking threat without these players. And I've been completely wrong. 18 goals after eight games, top of the table. They've been really, really good going forward. And a lot of credit has to go to Malcora and Ariola and this week Lucero, who scored, for stepping up, stepping up to the plate and replacing um, Dairo and Anauche. But most of all, I think the fact that they're still doing so well going forward shows just how good Hurtado is. He's... I've said this for a while, the best attacking midfielder in the league. And he's got four goals, three assists this season. Um, he's just been so key. I, I, I'm such a fan of this guy. I really am. I, I think he's so dangerous. He's such a threat. He's so difficult to mark because he's always on the move. He works really hard, which I love, um, You know, amongst the fact that he's got pace so he can quickly get away from the opposition. And then when he gets the ball, he's got the technique to finish chances, to pick out passes, to dribble around, beat opposition players. And he's intelligent. He's got the vision. He sees the pictures. He plays you know, incredible passes. He gets himself into great positions. I, I think he's got it all. I really do. I'm such a fan of his. And yeah, I, I, I say so far, with four goals, three assists, I'd give him the uh, MVP of the season so far. Final question comes from... Uh, at Johnny Rico, the the man himself, um, probably feeling a little bit better this weekend. After well, after this weekend with uh, America winning Clásico Joven, but he's yeah, still not sure about La Volpe clearly because his question is: uh, Would it be a good idea for Piojo to leave Cholos and come to save America once again? I think right now, no, definitely not. Um, you know, Johnny, I'm sure you, you see yourself going to the, the Cholos games. They're a better side than America right now. You know, they've got a much better chance of, of winning the title. I think he's done such a good job at Tijuana. And I, yeah, I think they've got the potential to win the title. So I don't see why he'd leave right now. Yeah, I can see him going back in, in, in the future, though, definitely. And perhaps it's the sort of thing that he sees out this season with Tijuana he knows that in the long term it's going to be tough to keep some of his stronger players. So maybe if there was some sort of agreement that America would spend money, that he would be able to bring players in to strengthen the side, or you know, perhaps even bring some of his players over from Tijuana. You know, maybe um, Hurtado, 
maybe Guido Rodriguez, although I really see his future in Europe, but hey, um, maybe they might be able to attract him to America. I think if he was able to, to, to get that agreement that he was able to bring a few of his own players in to strengthen the side and to build the team that he wanted, then yeah, I, I can see him going perhaps in the summer. Um, but for now, stay with Tijuana for the rest of the season. Doing a great job. And they've got a chance of winning their second Liga Mickey's title. And yeah, he'd, he'd go down in history at the club if he was able to do that. So that's it for this week's episode of the Colourful Kit Podcast Extra. Thank you very much for listening as ever. And a big thank you to all of you who sent in questions. If you have one for next week that you want to get in early, just hit me up on Twitter at TomH underscore 36. Just one final note. There is a new podcast in the Colourful Kit podcast family, which is dedicated to all things Chivas. It's the Chivas del Norte podcast, and you can follow their Twitter account at Chivas del Norte. After the Chiapas game, I'm expecting this week's discussion to be very interesting. So, yeah, well worth a check out, guys. All right, that's it for this week, and I will see you all next time on the Colourful Kit Podcast Extra. Saca, tira centro. ¡Gol!